Sony. Hello, Canada. Welcome to a full edition of Canadian Common Sense. 45 minutes of unedited, unscripted, and for at least 10 more days, uncensored talk on Canada's issues. Today's date is September 10th, 2021, and it is Tony in Saskatchewan. And Lewis in BC. How are you, my man? Well, I have a range of emotions today, so, uh, but we'll get into that. Excellent. And um, anybody who heard my rant earlier today will know that I am a little ticked off today. So we have got, and Lewis, I have not described our show this way for a little while. We have got a barn burner tonight, Canada. On the show tonight, there was a leaders debate or two this week. Aaron O'Toole shoots himself in the foot. Vote splitting slash strategic voting. What is it and how does it play into this year's election? Or predictions. And there's more. Where do you want to start, sir? Well, let's, uh, before we get into the debates, let's talk about uh, Aaron O'Toole's gun firearms flip-flop. Yes, because that's part of what's got me quite ticked off this week. I don't think Aaron O'Toole thinks about the long game in that there are just over 2 million licensed or firearms licensees. We can't say they're all firearms owners, but there are at least 2 million plus firearms licenses, licenses issued in Canada. And Aaron O'Toole's decision to essentially reverse his own platform position on on the uh, the firearms ban, I think is ticked off at least 1.995 million of those 2 million people. Yeah, and I'm one of them. Me too. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, the thing that, the thing that ticks me off the most about this is that this just goes to show how much the conservatives are uh, are, are uh, not taking advantage of, but they, uh, they they just they count on their base no matter what, right? They know that they know that their base is going to vote for them no matter what, and uh, and the and this firearms issue. I mean, the vast majority of firearms owners in Canada vote conservative. And this is just, this is just them counting on the fact that they're going to vote for them anyway. Um, I don't know that that's actually going to be the way it turns out. And I, I think that I think that uh, most people will continue to vote conservative in this election. I know I will be. Um, and we'll talk about the whole vote splitting, strategic voting uh, part of this later on. But um, it's, uh, they're just, they're not, they're doing this to appease the media. And they're doing this to appease uh potential voters in Ontario and Quebec and uh because that's the only place that, it, that this this firearms issue really is 
as much of an issue as it is in every election. I mean, the only time firearms are an issue is during the elections, and it's always brought up by the liberals. And, I mean, I, I think I texted you a photo of Justin Trudeau standing at a podium with a with a uh, what looked to be an AK-47 with a circle and a line through it. Uh, as, as like a picture in front of the podium. And the thing that I found hilarious about that is that those firearms have been prohibited in Canada since 1977. And the, those firearms aren't even what we're talking about. But, you know, I mean, that's that's the narrative that they're trying to drive uh, that they're trying to use to drive a wedge between firearms owners and non-firearms owners in this country. That's actually a really good point. Your last point that uh, about this being a wedge issue, and you had actually made a point on a previous show that non-firearms owners in Canada largely know nothing about about firearms, so they they think the worst. They think all oh, those scary guns and. <laughs> Well, Lewis, you're right again when you suggested that Aaron O'Toole is trying to please the media. He's trying to make friends with the media. He's trying to make some more friends in Toronto and Montreal. And in doing so, he's alienating firearms owners. And sadly, you're also right when you say most of those people are still going to vote conservative because they want Trudeau out more than they get mad at Aaron O'Toole. But... I really think that Aaron O'Toole should think a little more before he takes 2 million votes for granted because he's not going to get all of them. Granted, he's going to get a lot of them and maybe it won't cost him you know, more seats than he gains in, in Ontario, but it's, it, it says a lot to his integrity when he so easily flip-flops on that issue. It's, you got to think, okay, the leader approved the platform so when he approved that particular plank of the platform and then jettisoned it almost instantly just to keep Southern Ontario happy, I'm, uh, I'm disappointed. It wasn't even instantly. It was two weeks into the campaign. I mean, more than two weeks into the campaign. I mean, I think it was in week three. So, I mean, I mean he stood by that policy until... Trudeau called him out on it and then he immediately abandoned it. And, and it's like, but, I mean, and by doing that, you are saying, I, I take our, those 2 million votes for granted, our base for granted. I mean, the fact that he's also moved the policies of the, of the party very much to left of center um, says that he takes those he takes the conservative base for granted as well because much of those policies if you're a real conservative you would not approve of them yeah that's that's true you know and it's uh i even was willing to stand by him when he had said when he had his first flip-flop on the gun issue and that's right canada i said first because he actually flipped and then he flopped because initially he had said that no what i meant was repeal bill c71 and stand by the 1977 
rifle ban. And I said, okay, I'm all for that. And repealing the, the order in council uh, uh, from uh, 2020, I'm all for that as well. But then he decided that, oh, actually, that wasn't good enough. We're going to just keep all weapons currently banned, will stay banned, and then we will, quote, unquote, have a review. I, uh, I thought, is that Justin talking or is that Aaron talking? Yeah, well, I mean, let's be, let's be honest. If it was Justin talking, um, he would have, if it was up to him, he would just ban all the guns in the country. Uh, true. But, but I mean, it's, um, the thing is, is that Aaron O'Toole has taken the Conservative Party to left of center. And I don't think anybody could possibly argue that. No. And and so I mean this is this is where we're going to get into when we talk about strategic voting and vote splitting and I think we should we should talk about that now since we're on that topic. Absolutely, sure. Yeah, so cuz I think here is where you and I both agree, I think. Um we both are likely going to vote conservative because in our ridings um, we, well, not particularly my riding, but yours, especially because you're the race in your riding is super tight. Um, my riding is going to be a runaway conservative victory, but I, I just, I'm going to vote for conservative because the, uh, because Aaron O'Toole and the conservatives are the only alternative right now that can that can that has a shot at unseating uh justin trudeau and the liberals and that to me is more important than voting for policies i actually agree with at the moment which are primarily held by the ppc yes now uh i guess we just step back just and just uh explain a little bit about strategic voting, et cetera. Um, I mean, anybody who listens to our show obviously is politically astute or at the very least interested in politics. But just, uh, just to sort of summarize, strategic voting is when we vote not necessarily with our conscience, but more of, uh, of, a, of an in, in an intellectual kind of way. Uh, you know, you say that, for example, in my writing, my incumbent conservative party MP is only leading by about half a point in these latest polls. So even if you don't like him, but you want to get rid of Justin Trudeau, for example, you want to keep the seat conservative. So you would vote conservative just to make certain that, that this guy gets in there to add one more conservative seat to try to get rid of Justin Trudeau. And now we should talk about vote splitting because that's an issue that comes up an awful lot. And we'll talk about vote splitting is that, for example, you've got the PPC and the Conservative Party that are two parties that you know claim the right of center vote. Although, as you just correctly said, the Conservative Party is hardly right of center anymore. But conservative minded people can either vote for the PPC or Maverick in Western Canada or the Conservative Party. And that would, you know, therefore bleed votes away from each different party, allowing one of the left of center parties like the Liberals or NDP to consolidate more votes and then sneak ahead in our first past the post system. So, and 
And that's actually going to be a factor in this election because the PPC is rising rather rapidly in the polls and could lead away mostly conservative votes, which in some of those tighter races could mean that a conservative loses and that a liberal might sneak up the middle. That's right. So that's kind of a, well, a short-ish summary of the vote splitting and uh, strategic voting thing. And yeah, Lewis, you're right. I'm pretty much dedicated that I would, even if I don't like my current MP, and I don't mind him, he's not a bad guy, but if, but just for example, if I didn't like Brad Redekop, I'd still be kind of stuck voting for him if I wanted to get rid of Justin Trudeau. That's right. And and it, and that's the problem. That's that's the the dilemma that a lot of people are facing right now, including probably many of those two million firearms owners. Is we we can't vote for the party that we want to right now because we strategically need to vote for the party that is most likely to unseat Justin Trudeau. Yeah, that's right. And on that party, this election, and we'll talk about this more in our predictions later in the show at the end. I mean, the party is, appears to be the Conservative Party. They've, they've got the momentum, and right now, the way the polls look, they look like they are the only party that can get rid of Justin Trudeau. Yeah. And vote splitting in Canada is extremely important on the, on, on the right or the, the conservative side of the of the uh, spectrum because let's be honest 60 to 65 percent of canadian voters vote for a left-wing party and Hmm. so the vote splitting that happens on the left is the only reason a conservative party can win and uh and and so we get this you know you can get a majority government in this country with only 38% of the vote. And that's yeah. because of vote splitting. Yeah, that's very true. I mean, uh, when, a, when a party can poll, even like say just in the low 40s percentage, they actually get a very large majority government out of it. And that almost sounds counterintuitive because it's obviously less than than a majority of numbers when you're only 40 odd percent, but yeah, 40, 42, 43 percent is huge. Just wiped out the official opposition with those, with those kind of numbers. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And that's why when you've heard us talk about this on past shows, Canada, when we've, and we've said, and Lewis has brought this up with, when NDP support is up in the twenties where it is right now, that usually means bad news for liberals, even though the NDP typically on election day drops down to around 13%. There have been the very rare occasions where their support stays high. And then that's always bad news for liberals. Yeah. But the, the thing is, is that the majority of the time, the NDP, NDP vote percentage is usually a lot lower than their support percentage because people strategically vote on the left as well. Exactly. And, 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 that's, and that's what happens. Like a lot of NDP voters get to the ballot box and they go, you know what? The only way I can stop those conservatives is if I vote for the liberals. And 
So that's why the NDP usually end up with like 13 to 15 percent of the vote on election day, even though they have like 18 to 21, 22 percent of the support prior to election day. Yeah, that's right. And that's uh, if you look through historically through federal elections, that is almost always how it goes. I mean, really, the only exception was Jack Layton and the orange crush or orange wave, whatever they called it in 2011. Yeah, and that and and I I think mo I think a lot of it like too much has been made of that um, because that was more of Quebec's disillusionment with the Bloc Québécois. True, because that was that was like half of their seats or plus more than half their seats I think came from Quebec that that election, didn't they? That's right. Yeah, <laughs> and then when uh, Jagmeet Singh took over, they. Like their, uh, like his his first election, like they dropped to like, I think only only a couple of seats in Quebec after that. So we won. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was it was um, it was more of a of a middle finger to the Bloc Québécois because they weren't they weren't uh, doing what they what voters expected them to do, and then when the Bloc, um, you know, after they got decimated. They got serious again, and uh, and of course now you see that they've got a lot of support in Quebec again. So. Yeah, that's true. And if you're speaking of strategic voting, I mean Quebecers are the masters of strategic voting. And Tom Mulcair pointed out on uh, PowerPlay not very long ago that the often Quebecers will will vote in unison. So they see which way the political winds are going, and then they uh, they get on that ship. So, that's, so he was, his point was, if the Conservatives keep doing well in polling, you can probably expect a lot of Conservative seats in Quebec. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you see, like, with Quebec, generally, you'll get um, Conservative seats in and around the uh, Quebec City area. Um, but, uh, but you don't really get a lot of uh, Conservative seats in that province. No, and you certainly won't see them on the island of Montreal. I mean, that is solid. Well, especially the I think I think the island of Montreal itself is solid liberal country. But I mean, that's a, a liberal and block race the whole way in Montreal and the what they call the South Shore. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. All right. Well, let's. Um, should we should we get on to the uh, the uh, uh, debate? topics now we should because that's going to be an interesting one um so there was the consortium debates this week and those are sponsored by the major media outlets and the, the consortium consortium commission i guess or leaders debate commission is led by the very capable david johnson our former governor general i'm a little upset that maxine bernier was not invited to the debates however when I see the, pardon my language, shit show that the English language debate was last night, I don't think Max missed very much. No, and honestly, I think Max would have had a difficult time getting his message across, considering he, he does have, uh, he, he's difficult to understand in English. Um, I mean, even, even the PPC ads on TV have subtitles for him. So, <laughs> I mean... It's uh, he's difficult to understand. And I, don't, I don't think he would have benefited from last night's debate at all. Um, one thing I 
don't understand is why the hell the Bloc Québécois are continuously are are included in the English language de- debate. I don't get it. The I mean, all they care about is Quebec, and I mean, and he and 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 he proved it last night. You know, I Did mean, he ever? Wow, I mean, the, a a eighteen year old. First Nations uh, kid asked a question about why uh, he should trust any one of them uh, after 150 years of, of abuse by the government, which was a, a as simple a question as it was. It was a great question. Yeah. And, and uh, oh, my God, his name just slipped my mind. One shot. Blanchet. Blanchet immediately correlates First Nations to the situation that Quebec is in. Well, and he did that a lot. I mean, he was talking about the the nation to nation stuff and the nation of Quebec. And uh, I'm with you. There's no reason at all that somebody who only represents Quebec belongs in a national debate, you know? Yeah. No, uh, not at all. And and the thing is, is like, could he have been any more tone deaf last night? <laughs> I mean, he he was as tone deaf as it comes. And I mean, he was. You want to talk about a a a grown man acting like a petulant child? Well, Blanchet was the poster child for that last night. I had to laugh. There was a, a few different occasions where he was talking about how he didn't get enough time and he is, you know, his, his time was up or he you know, felt like he didn't get in, in, enough seconds to get his point across and whatnot. And it reminded me of, well, I guess it was 20 years ago when my first time I ran for office, the Alberta Liberal candidate who ran against me and, uh, or I ran against conservatives or whatever you want to call it. He every single candidate form we went to, he kept would always ask for an extra twenty seconds or an extra fifteen seconds to finish his speech. And by the end of the campaign, I started mocking him about that, and he didn't like that very much. But that is exactly what uh, Mr. Blanchet was doing last night. Well, I still have a, a couple of minutes of time. I didn't get enough time, and it just opened my eyes. Oh, and he says, "Oh, you, you." For four minutes more than I have, so I should get some more time to talk. But there's only 15 seconds left, and uh, and and I'm like, you just wasted eight seconds talking about wanting more time. Like, <laughs> I I it got to the point where I just started skipping every because I taped it because I I uh, I actually had um, a barbecue at the beach last night because it was a nice day. And so when we uh, when we got home, we we were watching it on tape delay, and um, every single it got to the point where every single time that Blanchette spoke, I just skipped because he had nothing to say that had any uh, relevance whatsoever. And the other person I ended up starting to skip a lot was Anami Paul because. She was the most unprepared candidate in the history of national debates. Are you just saying that because 
Every single time she was asked a question, she just said, why can't we be friends? Why can't we be friends? Pretty much. Or that she brought up her family. Yeah. Every, sing- every single time. It was her time to talk. She brought up the struggle her family had. Well, guess what? The question wasn't about your family. The question was about First Nations and living on reserves in poverty. Had nothing to do with with your family background. Okay. And, And yet she made it about her family and about her, you know, mother or about herself and about how her language was stolen and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, okay, this is not what this is about. And if you're trying to relate your, like make yourself relatable, you're failing badly. Well, that's a good point. And there was at one point, I remember she was talking about how her grandparents worked into their later years when they were talking about seniors. And I don't remember which journalist it was who just stopped her and just said, Hey, that's an anecdote. We actually want to talk about what your platform is or your policy or whatever. And I thought, thank you. About time someone tries to get her on to talk about actual policy. And she still didn't. Yeah. And surprisingly, I believe that that was uh, Rosemary Barton. I think you're right. And actually, we'll get to her in in a little bit because I was so impressed by her. But yeah, I got to say, Anime Paul, I mean, other than continuing to talk about you know, cross party dialogue and whatnot, she at the very least got one of the best zingers of the night. And I got to give her credit. And she was talking about the Afghanistan situation. And she had brought up that, I think it was she was saying it was, it was her husband and her had got more intelligence from their smartphones than Trudeau got from Canada's Intel network from what he was saying. And I just thought, boom, because we all did, apparently. Yeah, it, 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 she was right. I mean, in, yeah. in, that, in that it seemed like Tr- Trudeau was less informed than, well, everybody in Canada. Exactly. And that and you know, that's believable because, well, Trudeau's a dunce for one thing, but then Trudeau also, he tried to play ignorant and he couldn't ignore the media because it was reported all over the world. And it looked even worse for Trudeau because while Kabul was falling to the Taliban, he was meeting with the governor general to start an election. And that point still continues to haunt him to today well and that was something that Aaron O'Toole said to him in the debates where my wife and I actually looked at each other and laughed out loud um, because he said uh, Aaron O'Toole said leadership is putting is is putting others before yourself and and you you put yourself in front of everybody by calling this election yeah, and that was a, a good point that he made. And as we said when the election started, I didn't think this was going to be as big a point of contention, but it appears the Canadians are actually really, really ticked off that we're in this election. And the more news coverage I hear and people that are you know, being spoken to at rallies and whatnot, that's actually a much bigger point than I ever thought it was going to be. Yeah, I'm actually, I'm actually pleasantly surprised that, that Canadians are actually you know, saying, you know, this pissed us off and, and 
yet almost four weeks, well, about four weeks into it now, it still pisses people off. And when you see all these, you know, thousands of people that Canada left behind in Afghanistan because we called an election and all of the, uh, um, the fact that we're in the middle of a fourth wave and uh, which, by the way, I'm going to admit right now when I said, you know, two months ago or three months ago that, hey, this is over. I was wrong. <laughs> um, but uh, but we're in the middle of a fourth wave and it's election time. You know, I mean, he was getting everything he wanted because the NDP were propping him up and uh, there was absolutely zero reason to call this election. And the other candidates called him out on that last night. One thing I thought was really funny was how uh, Aaron O'Toole during the climate change uh, uh, um portion of the debate said you know that that justin trudeau made all these you know it's he he can make all the all the goals and plans that he wants but he 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 never hit a single target or whatever and yeah he's and he's saying you 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 know that he 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 misses every single goal that he sets for himself and then it it the 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 camera shot changed and it was uh you know trudeau uh, Singh and O'Toole all in the same frame and Singh is in between the two of them and he's nodding his head up and down going yep that's true yep yep that's true too <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah you know, that was actually a, a good one and uh, Justin Trudeau I mean we might as well move on to him and uh, he he did not look comfortable in that debate at all and no. I know in the uh the French language debates, and I didn't watch either one of them, naturally. They had just talked about, oh, how comfortable Trudeau was and how he was in his element. And I thought, well, they couldn't cover him for, for him anymore in the English language debate because there was more than 10 million Canadians tuned in. And he certainly did not look in his element last night. He was angry. His face was flushed. He, was, he raised his voice. He was rude. He wouldn't stop talking when Chachi Curl was trying to tell him it was someone else's turn to talk. He did not come off well on that debate at all. No, not at all. And anybody who said that he was in his element in the French debate didn't watch the same debate I watched because I watched it. And and like our listeners know, I speak fluent French. I watched the French language debate. And he was... He, he looked as... He, he was probably better composed last night than he was in the French debate. Oh my gosh. Because in the French debate, he was reeling. Like he lost his temper oh. a couple of times and, and snapped at other leaders. Uh, he was not prime ministerial in that in that French debate at all. Not to mention, I mean, he wasn't prime ministerial last night either, but um, but in the French debate, he lost his cool. And, and I don't know how anybody could possibly say that he was in his element. Like, whoever said that is a blatant liar. Um, as for last Actually, night, as for last night, I mean, he was, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. He was rude. He wouldn't listen to the moderator. 
he uh, everybody else respected Sachi Curl. Every, all everybody else, when she told them it was time to stop talking, they stopped. There might have been a reminder or two, but they stopped. With with Trudeau, they actually cut his mic a couple times. Well, they had to. Yeah, because he wouldn't stop talking. Yep, and it was uh, Trudeau actually outright lied in last night's debate when uh, they were talking about the sexual misconduct in the military. And it's a shame there wasn't more time for anybody else to call him out on it. Or maybe he was the last speaker on that one. But when he was talking about how his government has taken stronger steps to address the sexual misconduct in the military and how they've taken action. And I, I was actually standing up shouting, you've done absolutely nothing, you dick. And all they've done is just shuffle people around. And I thought like that was the biggest outright lie of the night. I was surprised that nobody mentioned that they covered it up for three years. And you're right. That, that, that's, that's true too. Yeah. And nobody mentioned it. I was shocked at that. Good point. Yeah. There, there's a few things I was shocked at that were not brought up last night. But one thing I was really happy to see was that firearms was not where they really wasn't even discussed. It was mentioned, I think, once or twice. Trudeau tried to make an issue of it, but Sachi Curl, who, by the way, before the before, last during last week's show, I said I was happy about her being the moderator, if you'll remember. So I, I told you so. Uh, she was fantastic last night, and she did not let the leaders get off topic. No. And uh, hey, you told me so. I was concerned because she was a, a CBC contributor, but she was on fire. I was so impressed with her. Yeah. And I mean, she even got, you know, I mean, she was, and, and if you, anybody wants to see this, just go back and watch some clips because if people were talking over time or not giving anybody else an opportunity to talk, she shut them up immediately and except for trudeau he had no respect for her at all and that again shows how much of a fake feminist that jerk off is yeah and actually we'll wrap up trudeau on uh, just with his fake feminism when anime paul was was talking and mentioned that she was you know the only woman on this stage and she took a dig at Trudeau that the Liberals have never had a, a female leader in the National Party, which is true. And then he cut her down and said said, Well you'll forgive me if I don't take caucus management advice from you. And I just thought, wow, you really are an arrogant SOB. Oh yeah, he he said that he used that line twice last night. Um, he used it first with her, and then he used it again with Aaron O'Toole. Yeah, and and that shows him, or that that just you know unveils his uh, his arrogance and immaturity when he says stuff like that. Yep. No, that's absolutely right. So we'll move on to Jagmeet Singh, uh, and then we'll cover Aaron O'Toole as our as our last leader. Jagmeet Singh, when the French debates were over, I remember somebody saying that, well, he seemed he was a little 
tentative and not quite comfortable, and but he, he should do well in the English debates. And I thought, you know what? He didn't look really comfortable last night either. And I appreciate that he was respectful and he was willing to make his points, but in the open debate sections, he really never went for the kill. And I thought, well, if he was tentative in the French language debates, he didn't do much better in English. Well, you know, I... I don't know. I saw it a little bit differently. I thought that he actually did quite well. Um, he uh, he gets his ideas across very e- like very well. Yes. Um, he called Trudeau out on his BS, and um, and I thought that you know he did a reasonably good job, and um, I would say a much better job than he did in the debate in the last election where everybody thought he did really, really well. And I thought he did better last night. Um, I don't agree with, like, well, any of his policies. Um, But he, uh, for people who do sway that way, uh, he could have won some voters over from the Liberals because he he did a pretty good job. I think he did a good job in his speeches when he had his minute to talk, but I don't think he was aggressive enough in the open debate section. As soon as someone would challenge him, he really, he had some counterpoints against Trudeau, I guess, but he didn't really, didn't see him going for any kill shots. And I think he had a few chances to take them. And I mean, I appreciate if he's just trying to be polite and respectful or whatnot, but this politics is kind of a blood sport in this country. No, you're, you're right. You're right. I, I, uh, yeah, 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 no, you're definitely right about that. I, he, uh, he was, re- he was really good in the, you know, the direct, the, the direct question segments, but yeah, yeah, in the open debate, yeah, you're right. He didn't, he didn't really go for the kill. And that, and that's something that he did do, uh, in the election campaign, um, debate in 2019. He actually did, you know, go for the jugular in the open debates. Um, and that's something he didn't do last night. So yeah, you're right. Yeah. And what uh, else he didn't do last night that I wish he, well, I know why he didn't, but he didn't say what anything would cost. And I, and I understand that their platform has yet to be costed, but I, I swear I'm going to, going to lose my poop. If I hear him talk about taxing the ultra rich one more time, because um, and you mean, you and I've talked about this. He hasn't really ever defined exactly who the ultra rich are, but he keeps trying to, to lower the bar so that pretty soon it's going to be anybody who's even middle, middle class and, and above an income is going to be considered ultra rich because he's got billions of dollars in promises and no way to pay for them. Yeah. Well, to be fair, he can make those promises because he's never going to form government. Um, True, but you're right. I mean, all I mean, I don't know how many times he mentioned last night that they want to tax the ultra rich. Like it got to the point where that was what I was expecting him to say as soon as he opened <laughs> his mouth. Yeah, and and it was always free, 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 free tax, 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 tax. And that's all I heard coming out of his mouth. And it was like, like they want to, they want to implement a, a, a uh, oh, a guaranteed basic income. And it's like, if anything, CRB has proven that that does not work. 
That's right. Like, like Serb has absolutely destroyed small businesses across this country because they can't find employees. And, yeah. and anybody, any, any expert, and I use quotation marks when I say that, any expert that says that it doesn't disincent, uh, disin- oh God, disin- disincentivize. There you <laughs> go. That was a hard word. Anybody who says that it dis- doesn't disincentivize, you know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> it doesn't do that thing. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody who says that it won't make people not want to work, they're, they're lying because it does. I own a business. I know that this has been the toughest year ever to find employees. So a guaranteed basic income will do exactly the same thing and nobody can convince me otherwise so let's talk about Aaron O'Toole you bet now I actually gotta say it and I mean I'm not a big Aaron O'Toole fan I'm obviously a conservative but he actually did look prime ministerial last night at times most of the time in fact and I was I was mostly impressed there was a couple times when he was questioned when he just sort of went on the talking points about the platform and I wish he'd kind of, you know, actually answered the question, but mostly I thought he did exactly what I think he needed to do. He didn't go off script. He, you know, answered most of the questions positively and he took any criticisms well and he gave, gave back what he, what he got. I'm, I wouldn't say he necessarily won last night because I don't really want to declare anybody a winner, but I think he did exactly what he needed to do, and he came out of the debate looking really good. Well, I will declare a winner, and it was Aaron O'Toole. Um, he he was the one who looked prime ministerial. He Absolutely. Looked like, he looked and sounded like an adult. He uh, and, and he was the he was calm, cool, and collected, and. He was, you know, he was the only one who who answered questions the way people would understand them, and yeah. and you know, like he was, he absolutely won that debate without question, and I don't know how anybody can say otherwise because because it was like a schoolyard. For most of it, with with the other four leaders, and Aaron O'Toole, like he didn't even he didn't jump into the fray even. Like he would, you know, signal that he wanted to talk, and uh, when called upon, he uh, he didn't get into the you know the dirty pol- uh, political games. He he spoke eloquently, clearly, and got his message across. And he was the only one of the five that did that on every question. Yep, I think I'll give you that. Now, we're getting close on our time. Before we get into our latest predictions, I do actually want to talk about the uh, the journalist involvement. Moderator, we've already said, Shachi Curl, fantastic job. I yep. personally was Shachi stunned. Curl, Shachi Curl should have that job for life. Yeah, 
yeah, she she was great. And who else was great when I am totally 100% shocked and stunned by Rosemary Barton. She came out with uh, and she did she came out and immediately asked the hard questions and she took absolutely no spin and no crap from anybody and I thought I don't know who this woman is but I I like her. Yeah, she called Justin Trudeau out in the middle of his answer. Yeah. And he still didn't answer her. But I'm, I'm just stunned that she actually didn't just give him a cream yeah. pump and let him let him go on. Like I that I yeah. don't know who that woman was, but I liked her so much. Yeah. And but he ran the clock out so he didn't have to answer her. Yeah. And and it was it was obvious and it was it was disgusting. But I was impressed by all the all the journalists that asked questions. Mercedes Stevenson was really good. She did the same thing. She she wouldn't let anybody spin their answer. Yeah. And uh, and yeah, I, I was I was impressed with it. I mean, and I think with having five five leaders uh, all together on stage at one time, uh, I don't think that it was possible for a debate to be any better than it was last night. Like, I, I don't think you could, you could, I don't, I just don't think there was any way that, that you can make a debate with that many people better than it was. Yeah. I, I, mean, I, we, I think you're right. I, because we've seen total and complete shit shows in uh, election debates in past elections, namely the last one. Yeah. Um, where they had six leaders up there and it was a complete shit show. Yeah. So this one was definitely well, head and shoulders above that. So yeah. And that, and that is all down to Sachi curl. I think you're right. Yeah. Cause she, uh, she kept ran a very, very tight ship and most of the leaders respected her and, you know, we're right in line. Yeah. The key word there is most. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. All right, so let's wrap this show up with our latest uh, updated predictions. So, Lewis, last week you were a little less firm on your call for an Aaron O'Toole majority. Where are you this week? Um, well, the protesters at the uh, Trudeau events are not affecting things as much as I thought they might. Uh, I am calling right now. I am predicting a large minority government for O'Toole. Uh, if if things continue the way they're going, a large minority government for O'Toole. Okay, I am pretty much right on the side with you. I I also think it's going to be an O'Toole minority. I am little concerned that because of vote splitting and strategic voting we may end up seeing the an O'Toole minority being propped up by the Bloc Québécois and that concerns me but yep I'm on board uh Aaron O'Toole minority yeah the the thing that I could see derailing it um well not derailing it but changing it because what I'm about to predict could either uh, it could have one of two effects. And, and the first one would be that it could backfire and O'Toole ends up with a majority or it could work and Trudeau wins again. And that is the next 10 days 
are going to be the nastiest, dirtiest uh, political advertising by the Liberal Party that you have ever seen. It's going to be the worst. Uh, it's going to be it's it's going to be a whole new level that we've never seen in Canada before. I mean, we, although okay, we did see that ad from the Liberals back in what two thousand and six. Um, that there was going to be soldiers with guns on the streets of on the Canadian streets. Remember that? Yep. Yeah, and that was the worst ad we've ever seen in Canadian politics. But I think that we're just going to see the nastiest, dirtiest ads we've ever seen over the next ten days. And Trudeau is going to get nasty and dirty in his in his uh, in his um, uh, press conferences. And I just I think that it's going to it's either going to backfire completely for him and O'Toole gets a majority out of it or it's going to work because liberal fear mongering generally works in Canada. Um, But I just think it's going to be really ugly for the next week and a half. That I, I I can see that. Yeah, I think you're right. And uh, even just at Trudeau's rallies, he's yelling himself hoarse, calling out everything. And I'm sure, yeah, you'll probably see the ads of Aaron O'Toole holding up kittens and you know with an evil look on his face or something. But yeah, we're gonna see some really really nasty ads coming up. And we some of that's been telegraphed already, is with the way that Trudeau is unhinged. I can't say it yeah. any other way. No, he, he does seem unhinged. Yeah. All right, candidate. Well, we're going to wrap it up there. Um, you can probably expect another rant or two from us before the, the next week is out. Remember, advanced polling is now open, at least uh, most areas of the country, if not across the country. So if you already know who you're going to vote for, by all means, get out and vote. And until next time, it is Tony in Saskatchewan. And Lewis out here in BC, keep spreading the word about our show because our listener numbers keep setting new records every week. And so we're, uh, we're thrilled by that. So please keep spreading the word. Yep. Thank you very much, Canada. Good night. Good night.